In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In this morning's reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, we hear St. Peter say to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. Now, St. Peter is an interesting character, a simple fisherman from Galilee. He is, at times, a little dense. I wonder if Jesus changing his name to Cephas or Rock had more to do with his personality than his confession of faith. St. Peter is simple yet profound, smart yet a little stupid, fearless yet afraid, faithful and yet unfaithful. In some ways, St. Peter is like all of us. But his words, Lord, it is good for us to be here, are particularly Peter-like because he sees Jesus transfigured in glory, flanked by Moses and Elijah, and his first thought is, let's build some tents. Let's stay here. Moses and Elijah were not physical bodies appearing next to Jesus. But in his defense, the last time Moses went up a mountain, he did stay there for 40 days, as we heard in our first reading. But his words, Lord, it is good for us to be here, become our words this morning. They become our words because when we gather for worship, God is present. And when we celebrate the liturgy, time and space open up and fall away. Heaven and earth collide. Past and present come together, and as we remember an event, we don't just call it to mind like the fond memories of our childhood or imagine what the future will be. There's a special theological word for the kind of remembrance we do in worship, and it's called anamnesis. As one of my classmates said, it's the opposite of amnesia. So when we remember things liturgically, it is as if they are happening right here and right now, in this time and space, even though they may have happened 2,000 years ago, or not yet in our linear time. And when we remember something liturgically, we participate in it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the word of God proclaimed and preached and through the means of sacramental bread and wine. So today, as we hear the story of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up a high mountain to pray, we don't just remember a day and an event that happened over 2,000 years ago in another part of the world. Instead, we join with them in their ascent to the peak of Mount Tabor, and we are there standing beside them as they see Jesus transfigured in glory. To fully understand the significance of the event we witness with them and to comprehend what it means to them and to us, we have to go back a few days to when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? They give him answers that they've heard in the crowd. Some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets, but that's not what Jesus wanted to know. Jesus wanted to know more than that. He wanted to know who he was to them. And then Peter, 
in a moment of entirely uncharacteristic clarity, professed, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he was right. And it is with this proclamation of faith fresh in their minds that Jesus invites Peter, James, and John up to the mountain to pray. And it is with this proclamation fresh in their minds that they see him transfigured in all his glory. The glory that they see is none other than the glory of the living God. The glory that Moses saw prefigured on the in the cloud on Mount Sinai that we heard about in our first reading today. It is the glory that be reveals beyond a doubt who Jesus truly is. Like Peter and the other disciples, we too, each one of us, has been on a journey of revelation and realization over the past few months. We have heard of the wise men's visit, and with them we have worshipped the newborn king who is here present among us. We were standing next to Mary and Joseph in the temple as Jesus was circumcised and fulfilled the law on our behalf. We were with Simeon and Anna as they rejoiced and glorified God for the salvation that was promised, the salvation they now held as a baby cradled in their arms. We were there on the banks of the Jordan River as John the Baptist professed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we watched as Jesus went down into the waters of chaos to identify with and take upon himself his fallen creation. We journeyed with Jesus as he went from town to town preaching and teaching in the synagogues. We saw him heal the sick and call people of all walks of life including you and me, to follow him, no matter the cost. Today, here on the mountain, we see Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what they're talking about, but in Luke's gospel, we learn that they are speaking of Jesus' departure, or put rather more plainly, of his crucifixion. Moses and Elijah are there before Jesus journeys to Jerusalem to bear witness to Jesus and to confirm for the chosen disciples and for us that Jesus is the one of whom all the law and the prophets bore witness. From this time on, once they descend the mountain, Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, towards his departure from this life and from this world. He knows that Peter, James, and John aren't expecting what's about to happen. And so he gives them the transfiguration as a gift so that the dark days of his passion and death will not make them lose hope. In a sermon on this passage, the great 5th century bishop, Leo of Rome, gives voice to the reason for the transfiguration in this way. He says, the reason for this great transfiguration was to remove the scandal of the cross from the hearts of the disciples and to prevent the humiliation of his voluntary suffering from disturbing the faith of those who had witnessed the surpassing glory that laid concealed. In other words, the disciples needed reassurance because they didn't know the end of the story. 
They didn't know that Jesus would have to die on the cross. They didn't yet know that Jesus' death wouldn't be the end of the story or that God had amazing things in store for them and for each one of us who follows them. But unlike the apostles, we do know the end of the story. We know that it's not something that Jesus was forced to do or something that wasn't planned, but it was the way in which, from the beginning, our God who loves us chose to reveal to us who he is and what he is like. We know that it is through Jesus' death on the cross that we are freed from sin and death, and that it is through the suffering of the cross that Jesus takes on and sanctifies the fullness of our human experience, even its darkest parts. We know that the joy of the resurrection comes after the sorrow of the cross, and that in the end, everything will be all right, and that we have a hope for a better world where pain, loneliness, fear, and everything that troubles us in this life will be no more. We know the end of the story, and yet year after year on this Sunday, as we transition from Epiphany to Lent, as we arrive at the halfway point between Christmas and Easter, the story of the transfiguration is placed before us to hear again and experience anew. Not because we need it to strengthen our faith necessarily, although if we do, it's there for that, but because in the words of our sequence hymn, it is a vision of the glory that the church might share. Jesus' glory revealed on the mountain is something that each of us will attain. As we prepare once more to enter the holy season of Lent, we are invited to journey up the mountain with Jesus to pray, to spend 40 days in the presence of God, and to walk with Jesus the long and lonely road to Calvary, where on the cross we see the fullest revelation of who God is and what God is like. And walking with him to Calvary, it is for us to follow him with all speed, yearning for that heavenly vision that will give us a share in his radiance, renew our spiritual nature, and transform us into his own likeness, making us forever sharers in the Godhead and raising us to heights as yet undreamed of. In this season of Lent, we remember in a particular way our own sinfulness, both as individuals and as a society, and we place before ourselves our need for a savior. Once again, we will take up the practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, practices that we hope will help us to set aside those things which hold us back and make us afraid to behold God's glory, the glory we were created to share. Lent is a time of repentance to be sure, but more importantly, it is a time for spiritual growth. So my friends, keeping in mind all that we have learned about Jesus in the past few months, I want to encourage you to take advantage of this time. Take Jesus up on his invitation to come away to a quiet place and pray. Ascend the mountain and with Peter, build some tents made out of the practices of prayer fasting and almsgiving, to spend time with Jesus and allow yourself to be transfigured 
because spending time with Jesus will reveal his glory, but it will also help you to see yourself as you really are, so that when Lent is over and we come down the mountain, we may with Peter testify to what we have seen and heard and bring light and hope to a broken world longing for the embrace of the one who was lifted high upon the cross, that he might draw the whole world to himself and tell us not to be afraid.